A second grade class standing on risers, singing in unison during a concert for their doting parents. It's 2010. Seven-year-old Kyron Horman is wearing a white button-up shirt and blue dress pants and is standing proudly in the front row singing along with his Skyline Elementary School classmates. But 10 years later, the singing, the smiling, the joy has faded. Kyron is a sweet little boy that just wanted to live his life and to go camping and fishing and be a kid. And he got that taken from him. The word normal is no longer in his mom, Desiree Young's vocabulary. It's kind of a curse word. It's looked at as uh, not something that exists. It's kind of like closure. I don't even like saying that word. Uh, it, it, it is not a reality that we live. Uh, normal went away on June 4th. And every day we adjust. We try to survive the aftermath of that. And it's a roller coaster. Every single day is different. And it just isn't something that I would ever consider or describe as normal. That's because her son, Kyron Horman, disappeared from his Northwest Portland, Oregon elementary school on June 4th, 2010, and has never been seen again. You don't know where the child went missing from. That increases the odds of of having it go long-term. And that was never in the back of my mind on June 4th. That night, I never thought in a million years, we will be here in 10 years. Never. It's sad and it's disappointing and frustrating. I, I don't even think I have words to describe it. <laughs> it's just not something I thought was going to be possible. Inside Desiree's home is a room. It's a freshly painted light blue bedroom filled with silence, but it's not empty. It's full of memories and adorned with a large photo blanket hanging from the ceiling over the day bed next to a painting with the word faith. On the bed is a pillow that says, love you to the moon and back. And on the wall are framed baby photos. The photos are of her son, Kyron. It's his bedroom. I wanted to have a place where I could smile again, not just have tears, but be able to reflect on all the memories that I cherish. It's her special place to reflect, grieve, and remember her son, who loved camping, fishing, swimming, and building Legos. Wearing a button with Kyron's photo on it, she opens up his favorite book inside that room, Love You Forever. His mom says he's shy, but had an infectious belly laugh. I want people to, I guess, understand that through all of this, there's real people behind the story. You know, it's not a TV show, it's our lives. He would be turning 18 years old this year. Giving up's not an option. So we, we do what we have to do. And it's, it's not always easy, but again, I can't imagine what he's going through. That's, that's enough for me to suck it up and keep going. 
That's his dad, Kane Horman. Well, I'm excited that the sheriff's office still has as many resources working on the case that they do. I think it goes well beyond hope. It's whether or not you believe he's out there. So investigatively so far, there, there's no conclusive evidence that says that he is, and there's none that says that he isn't. Step, the sheriff's they department launched a school. massive search within an hour of learning that Kyron was missing. The FBI is also on scene. Mic check, one, two, three, four, five. Kyron. We're going we're gonna to bring you home, buddy. Um, nothing is more important to your family, your friends. Investigative reporter with KGW, Kyle Iboshi, has been covering Kyron's case for the past decade. Little did I know that 10 years later I'd still be covering this story. June 4th, 2010. It was a big day for Kyron, the science fair. He had done his project on the red-eyed tree frog. The last photo ever shot of Kyron was a snapshot his stepmom Terry Horman took at the science fair that day. He vanished. In that photo, a little boy with a wide grin with a missing bottom tooth, a sandy blonde buzz cut, and silver framed glasses stares back with over-magnified blue eyes, leaving a country stunned and saddened as his case reaches national media and his two parents paralyzed with unimaginable pain. The flyers donning his toothy smile also state that he was last seen wearing a black CSI t-shirt, black cargo pants, white socks, and black Skecher tennis shoes with orange trim. He was a cute, curious little boy, and curious by him, he wanted to learn more about his surroundings, but wasn't curious to the point of going wandering off. I mean, his parents talk about how you know, he would get nervous at home alone or, or, or he would get nervous in his room. So as they describe it, he wasn't the type of kid to just wander off. I mean, that's just not who he was. Um, he liked the outdoors. He liked going camping with his family. Um, he liked doing what little kids do. I mean, keep in mind, this is a second grader, right? So, you know, his his interests are like most kids. Um, he was in this in-school play. Um, he was a good student. He was generally responsible. It wasn't like, he was a bad kid, or as his parents explained, it's not likely that he would go off with a stranger. Um, he knew about stranger danger. Kyle, a father of three boys himself, remembers a call from his wife that day. I was driving back from another news story, and my wife called me, kind of frantic, and said, hey, we got this voicemail message about a missing kid. Do you know anything about it? And I thought that was strange. I mean, a missing kid. And she was led to believe maybe this is a kid from the neighborhood or someone near our house, when in fact it was an accident that Portland Public Schools sent out this emergency message to all parents in the school district. So thousands of parents alerting them that this little boy, Kyron Horman, was missing, and if he had information to call police. So that really set off alarm bells around the entire community. By 9 o'clock, as we watched search teams wade through high, grassy fields, Kyron had been missing more than 13 hours. Police declared the area a major crime scene. By morning, the military and crews on the ground joined the search. He's not the kind of child that would just go out of school and just go, you know, searching or wandering around. He's just a very timid, sweet boy. Terry says she left him at school after the science fair. He was supposed to be home at 3.45 p.m., but never made it. However, witnesses have said they saw her leave the school with him. Keep in mind, it's a science fair, so it's a crazy busy day at school. There's all kinds of parents, neighbors, grandparents there. A lot of people who wouldn't normally be there. And so the daily routine isn't occurring, and that's part of the challenge in 
looking into this case is there were a lot of people there who normally wouldn't be at school. Um, as we understand it, Terry was seen with Kyron at school. Then at some point, she left the school with her young infant daughter. The question is, was Kyron Horman with her at the time? We don't know where Kyron went after that because Terry went home, posted pictures of Kyron on her Facebook page in the afternoon, and then proceeded to go around town to various spots where she was seen by witnesses, including surveillance video and there were receipts of her at a local Fred Meyer store, which is kind of like a, a grocery store, which sells a lot of other things as well. But she was seen there, seen at a local gym, um, seen at a dry cleaners, and according to witnesses, made quite an effort to be seen as well. Engaged in conversation, wanted people to see the photos she'd taken of Kyron. So really was not trying to hide, was actually trying to be seen and, and was out in the community. The challenge is there's kind of a window in time where her family members and even law enforcement say she story doesn't really add up, basically. There was a time she said she was driving around because her infant daughter had an earache, and so she was trying to soothe her daughter's earache by driving around. But it really raised a lot of questions about where was she during this time period. And according to family members, you know, she couldn't really explain and didn't have a solid timeline. Desiree doesn't understand how Terry can't remember what she did that day. Her son went missing. I know everything I did that day. That was the day that our world turned upside down. I can tell you where I was. There's no way that she doesn't know where she was at. So that first day, Terry Horman, the stepmother, and Kane Horman, uh, Kyron's dad, they go to the school bus stop at 3 o'clock to pick up Kyron, expecting he's going to come home from school. They wait. He doesn't get off the school bus. Something's wrong. So they ask the school bus driver, hey, where's Kyron? She says, well, let me call the school. She calls the school and finds out he wasn't there all day. In fact, he was absent. So... Alarm bells start going off, the family goes to school, and the search begins. Um, Within a a very short period of time, a few hours, Multnomah County Sheriff's Office begins the search. Local police, and eventually the FBI, scour acres of land. In fact, it was the largest search and rescue operation in Oregon's history. As the hunt swiftly gets underway, just as quickly, photos of the missing boys circulate around the city. By 9 p.m., search crews were wading through tall, grassy fields, wooded areas, and steep hills. Canine units, investigators, and volunteers focus on the area around the school where he was last seen. The Skyline School is in northwest Portland. It's in a really kind of rural area, farmland, um, a lot of vegetation, rugged woods around it. So it's not a real urban setting. There's not like houses and development all around it. I mean, this is a tough place to search. But search crews are out there, and they're going through the high grass, they're going through the woods, shouting his name. Soon it begins to get pretty dark, and keep in mind, this is Oregon in June, so, I mean, it's light until 9.30 at night, but they're still out there searching. I think a lot of people, including myself, figured, you know what, this is going to blow over. I've covered enough missing kids' cases that I know, right? They're with a friend. They just didn't tell their parents where they were. They're going to be found in a few hours. And a lot of us had that assumption. But in fact, overnight, searchers continued to look and they never found him. And then by Saturday, people were really worried. And law enforcement was out in full force. Multiple agencies were out. People were searching high and low for this little boy. And by Sunday, the FBI was there. Police interview parents and other children from the school. Hundreds from around the state join in looking for him. They wanted to talk to anybody who was at school that day to find out more about what was going on. 
And it quickly became Oregon's largest search effort. I mean, there was military, there was local sheriff's office, there were police, there were volunteers, there were dogs. Everybody was on the ground looking for this little boy and couldn't find him. In fact, couldn't find a trace of him. So by the following week, the search continued day after day after day. And literally every hour, you'd expect something to happen. You'd expect, oh, we found him, or oh, we found a significant clue, but we never did. Captain Jason Gates with the sheriff's office. We're moving forward under the premise that we're looking for a, a living Kyra Norman. But they can't find him. So it's always frustrating, you know, when we're not finding anything, especially when we have such high hopes. A week after his disappearance, his family speaks for the first time. Kyron, we miss you. We love you, and we need you home right now. It was at that press conference where his stepdad spoke that the entire family stood in front of the TV cameras for the first time together. The family certainly appeared united. Uh, They were all standing shoulder by shoulder, um, supporting one another. We'd later find out, in fact, that was not the case. This family was torn apart. Um, One of them, the stepmother, Terry Horman, there was great suspicion around her by family members, really from day one, and they've They've explained that over the years. At the time, we had no idea, but now we have a better understanding of this family dynamic. Police declare this a criminal investigation, and their focus is Terry Horman, his stepmother, who took him to the science fair. I was feeling very much like, Lord, why are you not striking her dead right now? I could not believe that we were in a church and that she was lying to everybody and pretending like she was concerned. The search continues. Um, The family continues to do interviews and put out messages, but there is some question about what's going on behind the scenes. Well, then there's a real bombshell in that at some point, Kane Horman says, I'm moving out of the house. And this is where things really get interesting and in some ways kind of detract from the fact that this little boy is missing. He files for divorce and a restraining order claiming that essentially Terry, the stepmother, may have had something to do with Kyron's disappearance and also allegedly tried to hire the family landscaper to kill Kane, the husband. So all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what's going on here? As the divorce proceedings play out, we're learning more about the investigation and why there's this mounting suspicion about around Terry Horman, the stepmom. Um, apparently she failed a couple of lie detector tests um, and wasn't fully cooperative with investigators. Again, this is according to Kane Horman, the father, and other family members. So while the search continues, there is kind of this sideshow focused on the divorce, restraining order, and this dispute between Kane and Terry Horman. She eventually moves out of the house, moves in with her parents down in Roseburg, hires a high-profile defense lawyer here in Portland, And then we see this play out for months and months and months, this courtroom battle back and forth. And along the way, Desiree also makes claims against Terry in court documents. Desiree, Kyron's mom, claimed that uh, Terry had real issues with Kyron. And in court proceedings, she claimed that Terry wrote emails to her friends saying that she wasn't real fond of this little boy and actually had plans to divorce her husband and leave him. Also in court documents, Terry was sexting with another man while the searches were happening for Kyron. In the weeks following Kyron's disappearance, we came to learn through court papers that Terry was sexting a family friend and sharing lewd photos, all the while her little boy was missing. This all came out during the divorce proceedings and the restraining order. 
But um, it certainly raised some questions about Terry's behaviors. Then Desiree files a civil lawsuit against Terry. That civil lawsuit, as it was moving forward, there was a parallel criminal investigation. And the challenge was they didn't want to cross wires, essentially. They didn't want to have law enforcement have to turn over any type of information that might compromise the criminal investigation. So there was kind of this this odd clash. They both had kind of the same interest to find Kyron Horman, but um, they couldn't proceed. And so ultimately, Desiree dropped her lawsuit. Terry tries to change her name and appears before a judge. The judge denies her request. In 2017, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children create a new composite that shows Kyron's age progression for how he might look at 14 to 15 years old. Tips continue to come in, and with those tips, the county sheriff's office starts coordinating new ground searches. Most of the recent searches have been in areas closer to the school. Um, We don't always know where they're searching. That's the other thing, is oftentimes we'll just get a tip from neighbors saying, hey, there are search crews out here looking, and... They'll just be searching in an open field or in the woods. We never really know why they're searching a particular area. The sheriff's office often says, listen, it's investigative clues that have brought us to this. As we understand it, you know, they've, they've got this map and they look over areas they've already searched and then areas they haven't searched. And obviously they want to go through the areas they haven't searched and then and then they'll go back and, and search other areas. Um Searching around the school is kind of a no-brainer, right? I mean, in all likelihood, if he were to wander off or something were to happen to him near the school, that would make sense. The other areas, over the years, we've come to learn that Terry Horman's cell phone pinged on a cell tower that suggested she may have been in the area near Savi Island. And Savi Island is not too far from the school. Um, And again, it's an area that is not easy to search. There's water, there's high grass, there's farmland, there's fields. I mean, it is a wide open area um, with a lot of places that if someone were to go missing to find them, it would be challenging. He kept telling us he didn't do it, he didn't do it. And I said, they're going to find me guilty. This is Record of Wrong, a CARE 11 original podcast. Someone had to be found guilty in this case, and I was the only one left. Sometimes prosecutors, when confronted with very powerful evidence of innocence, go to great lengths to try to preserve the convictions. Listen to Record of Wrong wherever you get your podcasts. You didn't convict me wrong at once, they can do it twice. <laughs> Amid all the endless searches, it's Kyron's father's mission to bring his son home, no matter how long it takes, and hold those responsible for taking him accountable. Desiree is telling her story in a book. Last year, along with author Rebecca Morris, she released some revealing but unconfirmed information. In the book, Boy Missing, The Search for Kyron Horman, witnesses say they know who walked out of the school that day with Kyron, his stepmom, Terry Corman. The book is interesting in that it really kind of details the circumstantial evidence surrounding Terry Horman. Much of it is based on information provided by Desiree Young. And so police did not confirm anything. And even when I asked, they're not willing to say, yes, this is factually correct or incorrect. So we don't really know, but um, the book just kind of pieces together, not only the events as they played out real time, but then also reflecting back on some of the circumstantial evidence surrounding Terry. 
But 10 years later, there are no answers for his family. And the search goes on. No arrests have ever been made. And Terry, who's now remarried and living in California, maintains she didn't harm Kyron. Then, some breaking news. Kyron Horman's stepmother arrested on an unrelated gun charge. It is the latest strange twist in the Kyron Horman story. Terry goes on the Dr. Phil show and People magazine, again, defending herself and denying any involvement in Kyron's disappearance. While she hasn't spoken to me directly, and trust me, I've tried to interview her or request interviews with her numerous times over the years, she has been willing to speak to People magazine, go on Dr. Phil, and she did testify under oath in court when she tried to change her name. And throughout all that, she maintained she had nothing to do with Kyron's disappearance. She claims that she wants Kyron to be found. Um, In defending herself on Dr. Phil, she claimed that the lie detector tests were inconclusive, and part of the problem was she claims that she had a hearing problem and she wasn't able to hear the interviewer's questions clearly. Um, She claims that that all the allegations made in... I wouldn't say all... She claims that some of the allegations made in the divorce proceedings and the restraining order by Kane were fictional, um, were made to distract people, um, and that she had nothing to do with Kyron's disappearance. I want him home. At what point are they going to realize I don't have the answers? I was never asked in any polygraph if I had murdered Kyron, if I had harmed him in any way. Those are questions you would think that you would ask somebody if you were concerned about a child missing. I was willing to talk about anything. Whatever needed to be done, I was willing to do and continued to do so for approximately three weeks without an attorney. Uh, no, I, and in fact, they told me, well, if you want your son found, then you don't need to hire an attorney. We can't tell you whether or not to hire one, but if you want your son found. And so they're putting that on you as though it's some kind of a choice. Of course I want my son found. But Desiree just wants answers. Over the years, she's made pleas to the public and to Terry. No matter what Terry did that day, we still have to find Kyron. We still have to bring him home. But she's not confident those answers will ever come. It's unfortunate that this person that did this to our family is out there, free to do whatever she wants to do and to hurt whoever she wants to hurt. I want the DA's office to do something. I want them to hold her accountable. I want people to understand what she's capable of. Throughout all this, though, police never named Terry Horman a person of interest or a suspect. The closest we ever come to that is in court proceedings, a judge identifies her as the prime suspect. To this day, that's the closest anyone has come to calling her an actual suspect in this case. Again, she's never been arrested. Um, throughout the years, there is continues to be suspicion around Terry Horman. She tries to change her name on several occasions, even takes the witness stand and, and tries to defend herself and say, listen, I had nothing to do with this little boy's disappearance. I want him to be found. Um, she moves to California. Legal troubles follow her and, and, and questions surround her behaviors down there. Um, but even to this day, while searches continue and every year on June 4th, you know, there are tributes and, and remembrances. I shouldn't say remembrances, but people remember the case. Um, he's still missing. Initially, when Kyron went missing, 
Like a lot of people, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, well, you know, he's going to be found. I've seen this play out before. And I just figured that would happen. And, and that didn't happen in this case. He was never found and still isn't. We don't know where he is to this day. Um, one of the criticisms that I hear, which I think is fair, is, hey, why so much attention to this case? I mean, this is one kid that's missing. There are thousands of kids that are missing. And and I get that. I understand that. Um, I think a lot of cases um, involve kids that maybe run away or kids involved in a custody battle where a member of the family takes them. Very rarely do we see a kid who disappears from school. And that's one of the things that makes this case particularly exceptional. It has been interesting to just watch this case because there has been so many unusual twists and turns. But I always remind people in my coverage, don't be distracted by the sideshow. Ultimately, this case is about finding Kyron Horman. And Kyron's mom, Desiree, believes he can be found. A few years ago, she was asked to speak at a missing persons rally at the state capitol. Standing in front of several missing posters, she wears her own son's missing poster on her t-shirt and dons a photo button of Kyron. Wiping away each tear with a crumpled up tissue, she remembers her little boy who went missing in 2010. I was asked to speak to you today because I'm Kyron's mom and I'm currently living through a nightmare many parents could never fathom. In a group, Kyron is the smallest in stature, but he's the brightest. You may not notice it because he's also the quietest. My son has a smile that lights up the room. You can't help but laugh when he laughs. He has this belly laugh that's infectious. He's a shy kid and is in his comfort zone when he's around his family and friends. I want to see his smile again. I want to hear his laugh. And most of all, I want to feel his hug. I will never give up. I'm going to leave you with this today. I hope that you take our story and go back to your homes and download flyers and photos and share them, not just of Kyron, but of all missing children and persons in the state of Oregon. Get more involved. Please share their stories. All it takes is one person to see his face and report that tip that could bring him home. If you have any information about Kyron, call the county sheriff's office at 503-988-5300. There's currently a $50,000 reward being offered for information on his whereabouts.